listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're doing something different this week that I've never done before, and we're calling this Secrets from the Greats, How to Be Used Mightily by God. Secrets from the Greats. You know, it's been an amazing thing to be able to be around so many mighty men of God in my lifetime, um, thanks to being with my father. I've been able to meet and be around so many wonderful men of God, and then some of those men of God got to spend years with some of the greatest men of God as well on the earth. So I've got to hear their stories firsthand. Um, I've gotten to be behind the scenes and, and hear uh, stories that are not in books, things that are not written down. And it's always fascinated me uh, to watch God use uh, men and women that others seemingly would not pick or wouldn't use. But um, you can learn things from their life. You can learn things from their, their ministry, their habits. And um, I wanted to just take a week because if you follow this ministry, you'll understand we talk about this often that uh, time is short, time's running out. Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. And if you watch, love you, Bonnie, if you watch what's going on in the world, you understand that we're already seeing the signs of the times. We're already seeing that all around us. The things Jesus prophesied would take place before he came are taking place, very specifically taking place. And so we realize that time's running out. That makes your life that much more important. That makes what God has called you to do that much more important. And so today, and by the way, if you're just getting on, um, do me a favor, share this broadcast today on whatever platform you have and uh, get the word out. Good morning, Liz. Um, because this is urgent. This is an urgent thing. We're not just examining the lives of others for the sake of looking at them. It's for our own benefit because God's going to use you mightily. He's going to use your family mightily before Jesus comes. And so these secrets from some of the greatest men of God that ever lived, especially uh, recently, <clears throat> are priceless, absolutely priceless. And um, that's why I wanted to go through these and go through the word of God with you. I get questions sometimes from younger um, ministers, and I'm not old, but I'm also not young anymore. I'm kind of right in the middle, <laughs> but I get uh, DMs on Instagram and messages online. We get, uh, you know, I get text messages or people will ask me in person um, from those that want to be used by God. What should I do next? You know, what is it that I need to be doing? What disciplines should I put into place? What habits should I put into place? I get those questions more than you would imagine. And, uh, and that's good because it means people are hungry to be used by God. That's a good thing. I like getting those questions. I like getting those DMs and those texts because it means people have a hunger and a desire to be used by God. I want to see my generation shaken by people who have a heart to see God touch America and the world. And so I'm encouraged by it. But um, 
I thought this would be a great thing that we could not only teach, but archive that I could point people to and say, listen, if you want to see some of the principles that caused others to shake their generation, then uh, you can look here. And this is, this is something that has obviously, because it's scriptural, has stood the test of thousands of years because these are not man's principles. They're God's principles. I'm not going to be teaching you this week uh, things that men just came up with on their own. Many of these men had direct encounters with Jesus Christ, direct encounters with the Lord. And because they had direct encounters with the Lord, God spoke to them, not just about general things, but even specific things regarding their own lives. And it's good for us to hear those things. In fact, um, I want to start today and thank you to everybody who's helping me by uh, putting the verses and the points and the comments and everything like that, because people ask questions a lot during the broadcast and it's easier for them to read it from you than me to break the teaching. Hebrews chapter six and verse number 12, this is going to be Um, I would say a baseline text for this whole week that we're together. This Hebrews 6, 12 verse, um, is, is very important and I'll read it to you. I'm going to read it to you in two different translations, um, the ESV, and then I'm going to read it to you in the amplified as well. But Hebrews 6, 12 says, so that you may not be sluggish, sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let me read that again. This is the ESV. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now let me pop over and and, um, read it to you from the Amplified Classic. The Amplified Classic says it this way, in order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards. Let me read that part again. In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards. So if you're taking notes with me today, I want you to write two things down before I finish this verse. Disinterest and laziness. I want you to write those two things down. Disinterest and laziness in your notes. These are obviously two obstacles to obtaining the promises of God and uh, being used mightily by God. Disinterest and laziness. Let me continue. So that you'll not become spiritual sluggards, but imitators behaving as do those who through faith by their leaning on by their leaning of the entire personality of God in Christ in absolute trust and confidence in his power wisdom and goodness and by practice of patient endurance and waiting are now inheriting the promises so the writer of hebrews is, is saying and encouraging the reader that unless you're able to overcome disinterest and spiritual laziness, 
then you'll not be able to imitate those people who went before you that were able to obtain the promises of God. And so instead of being disinterested, instead of being spiritually lazy, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is saying that you need to, rather than being disinterested and lazy, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. So that means that even aside from Jesus, good morning, Linda, aside from Jesus, we should be able to see people in our own generation who are obtaining the promises of God. We should be able to see people. Of course, you know, Paul said it this way, the apostle Paul, he said, um, be, be imitators of me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Two different passages in scripture, Paul encouraged the churches, imitate me, imitate my life. Follow me as I follow Christ. In another passage, Paul told the church, I'm going to send you my son, Timothy, and he's going to teach you how to live like I live. Very interesting, isn't it? That's very interesting. He said, I'm going to send you my son, Timothy, and he's going to teach you how to live like I live. So that's three, really. Be imitators of me. That's Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's Paul. I'm sending my son, Timothy, to teach you to live like I live. That's Paul. So Paul understood this concept perfectly, that because God had set him in a leadership position, he was qualified to use his own life as an example of how to pursue Christ and to pursue God. So it's an absolutely scriptural uh, principle to be imitators. You know, there's people say, well, all I need is Jesus, brother. That's not how Jesus set it up. Well, I don't need church, brother. I don't need a pastor. I just need Jesus in my Bible. That's not how Jesus set it up. Jesus didn't say to the early church, all you need is the scripture and me. No, he gave gifts unto men. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter four. When he ascended, he gave gifts unto men. What gifts did he give? The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. And so that means that the, the saints need perfecting. The saints need perfecting. And God gave those gifts for the purpose of perfecting them. So we should be able to obtain the promises by imitating those that have already done that. Just like Paul said, by imitating those that have already done that. And that's what the point of this uh, series is, is that we can look at those who have shaken their generation, who have shaken their world, and be imitators of what the Lord has used them to do. What can we learn from their lives? What can we learn from their lives? And so I'm going to start today with um, one of my favorites, one of my favorites, and that was uh, Brother A.A. A. Allen, A.A. A. Allen. Uh, in fact, this, this book um, that we have, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power, this book is, I believe, one of the most powerful books that he ever released in his life. Most powerful books. I've read it many times 
And um, this book is not just something he decided to sit down and write. The price of God's miracle working power is something that he got from having an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with Christ. In fact, he was dissatisfied <clears throat> with the level of impact his ministry were, was making, the level of miracles that he was experiencing. So he made up in his mind, <clears throat> I'm going to lock myself in my prayer closet. I'm going to fast and pray <clears throat> until I have what I need, an encounter with God. And he failed multiple times. He would get hungry and come out and go eat. And then he'd, he'd feel guilty and he'd go back in and he'd fast and pray and he'd eat and he'd, qu he'd quit. And finally, he made up his mind, I'm not quitting this time. I'm not giving up on this. I'm going to press in until I receive something from the Lord. And he went in and he said, as he, um, as he went in and began to pray, a bright light filled the room, bright light filled the room. And, uh, he knew Christ was there. He didn't, he couldn't look up, but he knew Christ was there. And, uh, the Lord began to speak to him and began to give him things that he needed to understand in order to be able to make a greater impact in order to be able to make a greater impact. I've been there before I've been there. I, I, I first came across this book when I was young because my father traveled with RW Shambach and we traveled to the tent meetings. Well, Brother Shambach worked directly under Brother Allen and um, was his associate for years. And so because he was, he would, Brother Shambach would carry this book um, in his meetings and sell it. This is called The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. We're going to make this available to you at the end of the broadcast today. But um, I first came across this book when I was young. My father obviously had a copy, Brother Shambach carried it in his meetings and I read it as a teenager and I've read it many times since, very powerful, but I've been there where you feel as though you're not seeing what you want to see in your life and ministry. I'm sure you've been there where you felt dissatisfied with the level of God's power manifested in your life. It's not that you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not that you're not saved. It's not any of those things. It's that you've got to be able to release the power that's on the inside of you. Now, here's where many people miss it. And I, I made a comment about this a few months ago, and I had multiple preachers ask me a question about it. Um, and, and I didn't realize it was a concept necessarily that people didn't talk about often or understand. But, you know, one of the misconceptions, and I, I want to get this across today because it's vitally important, vitally important. One of the misconceptions that people have is that if they're not seeing God's power operating in their life the way they're believing for it, it's, it's because they need more anointing. I just need to get more anointed. I got to get more anointed. You know what, Lord, send me more anointed. Anoint me more. That People pray like that. Or they'll think those types of thoughts. And thanks for jumping on. Listen. If you're just getting on right now, share this broadcast because this is life changing. Change my life. Change Brother Allen's life. Many ministers, this has changed their life and their ministry. And so people think, well, if I'm not seeing God's power uh, operating in my life the way I want it to, it's because I need more anointing. I need more anointing. I just need more power. 
And people think like that. And they've been taught that way. Well, you just need to get more anointed, brother. If you'd get some anointing on you, and people talk like that. It's not that. That is not the case. In fact, you can't get more anointed. You can't get more anointed. You say, what do you mean you can't get more anointed? Because first you have to ask yourself the question, what is the anointing? What is the anointing? The anointing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. He's the one who seals their salvation. But then there's a secondary experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. So subsequent to salvation, there's a secondary experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now it can happen at salvation, but it can also happen after salvation. And it's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The reason that God gave us the baptism, Jesus told us why, to receive power. He told the disciples in the early church, those that were uh, early Christians, go and wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with what? Power from on high. Power from on high. And so the Bible tells us that's what happened to Jesus. He got filled with the Holy Ghost after being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And what does the Bible say happened to Jesus? The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. When did he do that? At his baptism. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then he was led into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And the Bible says when he came back out of the wilderness, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus didn't have that power of the Spirit for the first 30 years of his life. And in fact, the proof of that is that he produced no miracles in the first 30 years of his life. It was only the final three and a third, three and a half years of his life that he had miracles, signs and wonders following his ministry in his life. What was the thing that changed? He got filled with the Holy Ghost and power. The Bible says, and that's the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. He didn't need to be saved. He wasn't a sinner. He was a sinless man. Jesus didn't need to be saved. He didn't need to be born again. He didn't need to become a new creation. He was already sinless, but he needed the power of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because there was work to be done and it takes the power of the Holy Ghost in order to get the work done. And so we're answering the question, what is the anointing? The anointing is the Holy Ghost. The anointing is the Holy Ghost. So if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you've been filled with power from on high to be a witness for Christ. So if the anointing's the Holy Ghost, you don't need more anointing because you've got, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't get more Holy Ghost. You can be refreshed continually by the Holy Ghost. You can be refilled with the Holy Ghost, but you don't lose the Holy Ghost in power. He doesn't drain out of you like you're, you know, some kind of a, uh, what's that thing you take to the beach? A sieve? What's the the thing that you have that has the holes in it, lets the water drain through and the sand stays in it? 
not a strainer. I think it's called a sieve or a sieve. Is that right? Am I right about that? I've come across the word that I don't remember. Um, that, but it doesn't drain out of you. The Holy Spirit's not draining out of you every day. You're filled to the overflow with the Holy Ghost. So you are anointed already. You're, you're anointed already. You don't need to be more anointed. You're anointed. But so, so what is the thing then? The thing is, how do you release the anointing that's on the inside of you? That's what many people don't know how to do. They don't know how to yield to the Holy Spirit and release the anointing that's on the inside of them. Now, you can get more faith. That's a whole different thing. You absolutely can get more faith, but you can't get more anointing. How are you going to get more of the Holy Ghost than you already have? You've got the Holy Ghost. But you can get more faith. Faith can grow. And as your faith grows and your faith matures, there's more available to you that you can do. But you don't need more anointing. You need to learn how to release the anointing that you already have. And I was talking about that a, a couple of months ago. And people said to me, you know, um, I heard you saying that thing that people don't know, understand how to release the anointing. How does a, a minister release? The, how, is, how is a minister supposed to release the anointing? Well, that's the key, isn't it? Because if every one of us has the anointing filling us up, then it's inside of us, but we needed to get outside of us to affect the world. It's already in us. He's already in us. We need to get him out of us to touch the world. Amen. And there are different ways to release the anointing. I'll tell you, one of the things that happened to me, this is a very similar experience to how Brother Allen felt. I was not seeing things in, in our ministry that I, the way that I wanted to see them. Miracles, people being healed the way that we wanted to see it happen. And so I started to pray about that. And I said, Lord, we're not seeing the miracles the way that I want to see miracles take place. And this was the answer that I got from the Holy Ghost in my spirit. He said, you've gone as far as you can go at your current level of prayer. That was the answer. That was my answer from the Holy Spirit. You've gone as far as you can go at your current level of prayer. Well, I didn't get upset. You know what I started doing? Praying more and fasting. Praying and fasting. And so we went on a 21-day fast. The next meeting that I had was in Canada after that. And you've heard me tell this story, but that's when the miracles began at a different level. 21 days of fasting and prayer. And at the end of that, I came to that meeting in Sussex, New Brunswick. And that's when I encountered that woman who had never been to church before. No one had ever invited her. And after she got saved... I was going to pray for those that needed miracles. And she went downstairs, got her son that was six years old, brought him up, blinded one eye and said, pray for him first. And I had him take his glasses off. And when I laid hands on that boy's eye, I felt the compassion of Christ come over me. And I commanded that eye to open up by the power of the Holy Ghost. And when I took my hand off of his eye, he shouted, I can see you. His mom collapsed to the floor, began to weep. We'd not seen miracles like that in our ministry at that point, blind eyes coming open, things like that happening. But something changed through what? Fasting and prayer. 
And through fasting and prayer, I was able to release the anointing at a greater level. I was able to release the anointing at a greater level. I'm already anointed. You're already anointed. How do we release that anointing? And that's what Brother Allen was asking the Lord. How do I see your power manifested in my life and ministry at a greater level? And the Lord began to deal with him when he met with him in that closet. And um, the first thing that I want, I want you to see today that Brother Allen understood from the Holy Ghost was this. And Jesus was speaking directly to him. Is found in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24. Matthew 10 and verse 24. Let me read this to you. Matthew 10, 24. Jesus is speaking in this passage of scripture and he says this. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Let me read that again. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. The Lord impressed that upon Brother Allen. That was the first thing that he encountered with Christ there, that a servant is never above the master. A disciple is never above the teacher. Now we know Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the master. We are the servant. We are the disciple. And you say, well, that sounds obvious. You know, we, we should know that, you know, we're never going to be greater than Jesus. Well, the reason that sometimes people have a misconception about this, maybe they've read John chapter 14 and verse 12, where the Bible says, and Jesus again is speaking, the works that I do, you shall do also and greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to be with my father. So people may read that and say, see, even Jesus said that we would do greater works than he did. Even Jesus taught that we would do greater works than he did. But again, you have to ask yourself the question, what did Jesus mean by greater? He didn't mean greater in quality. He did mean greater in quantity. Think about this for a moment. He did not mean greater in quality. Why didn't he mean greater in quality? Because Jesus did every type of miracle imaginable. He did, uh, you know, he raised the dead. He healed every type of sickness and disease. He cast out devils. He did miracles of provision, supernatural miracles of provision and multiplication. I mean, <clears throat> every type, he did physical miracles and manifestations, signs and wonders, walked on water. I mean, supernatural things. So you're not going to get greater in quality than raising the dead and having blind eyes come open and casting out demons. You're not going to get greater in quality than the miracles that Jesus had. But do remember this, Jesus only ministered for three, a little over three years, three and a third years. There are many ministers that have ministered far longer to, than Jesus did and <clears throat> to far greater crowds of people than Jesus did. Remember that. I use the example uh, many times of people like T.L. Osborne, Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, many others, uh, Pastor Enoch Ataboye, who we played at the beginning of this teaching today, 
uh, David Oyedepo, others that have spoken to millions of people at a time. Jesus never spoke to millions of people at a time. When you, you talk about seeing conversions, these men seeing conversions, I played a video in our previous revival in, in Lancaster of Dr. Bonke calling people to Christ throughout Nigeria. And in one of those services, it showed that in one night, in one night, not in the week of meetings, in one night, over one million people came to Jesus and prayed the prayer of salvation in one single night. Jesus never had a million people added to the kingdom in one night. The apostles never had that. Nobody in the early church had that. I mean, they saw 3,000 added, 5,000 added, crowds added, but nobody had a million people in one shot added to the kingdom. What a miracle. What a miracle. And then think about these men and women of God that have seen mighty creative miracles over a span of 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, far more time to do the work. So the works that we're doing, they may be greater in quantity, but they're not greater in quality. So Jesus is saying the works that I do, you'll do also and greater works than these will you do because I'm going to be with my father who's in heaven. And I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost is the, is the context of what he's teaching on. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and you'll do greater. So they went and turned their world upside down in the early church. Turned their whole world upside down. Went to other continents and preached the gospel. God brought people in. Miracles, signs, wonders took place. So when Brother Allen heard this from Jesus, that the disciples not greater than the, than the uh, teacher, and the servant's not greater than the master, he thought to himself, well, this sounds obvious, but I need to get what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus was teaching him something, that if you look at Jesus' ministry, if you look at Jesus' manifestations of power and what he did, or even if you go beyond that and look at his disciples, the apostles after the resurrection, you'll notice something very important that Jesus was trying to get across to Brother Allen is that the disciple will never be greater than the teacher and the servant never greater than the master. Everybody wants to have Jesus' miracles and Jesus' manifestations in power. But what many people never want to pursue, get this now because this is what he learned, is that you've got to have Jesus' consecration if you want to have Jesus' manifestation. I want you to put that in the comments. I must have Jesus level of consecration if I want to have Jesus level of manifestation. Put that in. I must have Jesus level of consecration if I want to have Jesus level of manifestation. So here's what uh, Jesus was teaching him is that if you now, now think of it this way. <clears throat> If you could do all the miracles and the signs and the wonders and shake your generation and be powerful without doing any of the consecration steps Jesus did, that would mean that you truly are greater than Jesus. I'm going to explain that. If you could have all the power, all the glory, all the manifestations that Jesus had, 
without the consecration, then you truly would be greater than Jesus. You absolutely would be greater than Jesus. No question about it. And so the Lord began to show Brother Allen uh, in Scripture these different levels, what it looks like to have the same consecration that he had. And there were several things that he showed him. Number one, he said, now, and here's one of the reasons many people quit before they even finish, is because of persecution. People quit because of persecution. But did you know that Jesus said that his followers would be hated all over the world for his name's sake? Think about that again. Jesus said, my followers will be hated all over the world for my name's sake. He said, they hated me first, and because they hate me, they will hate you. Think about that. There's a persecution attached to being a follower of God. And, watch now, it's not just the same across the board. The moment you step out to do more for Jesus than you've ever done, the moment you step out to see these things come to pass, signs, wonders, miracles, seeing people saved, seeing people delivered, seeing people healed. The moment you step out to do those things, there's a greater level of persecution that comes because the devil doesn't want those works done in the earth. He doesn't want people saved. He doesn't want people healed. He doesn't want people delivered. He doesn't want people set free. And so when people step out to do more than they've ever done, then the persecution comes to try to beat them back into the place of anonymity where they were before. But you've got to understand, if they persecuted Christ, they'll persecute you. If they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you. And if people are going to quit because there's resistance, then they're not worthy, the Bible says, of having the power and manifestations Christ had. You have to have such a boldness in your spirit that you say, I don't care what people may say about me. I don't care what they may try to do against me. I don't care. It doesn't matter how they try to shut me down or to shut me up. I will not be stopped. I will not be silenced. I will not back up. It's ever forward, never back in the name of Jesus Christ. Ever forward, never back by the power of the Holy Ghost. And yes, there will be persecution. Of course there will be. And it's interesting because, you know, now we're starting to see the persecution hit Western Christianity that used to only be in other countries, in third world nations. We're starting to see it hit. We're having people, look at Canada. Look what's been going on in Canada, where there's been such a pushback against the church over the last three years. A pushback, putting preachers in prison for preaching the gospel, putting street preachers in prison and arresting them for preaching the gospel. It's begun in the United States as well. Things we never saw in the past are beginning to happen, but that's because Jesus prophesied it would take place. It, it's prophesied. Second um, Timothy 3.12, the Bible says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Second Timothy 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so, of course, there's persecution attached to doing great things for God. Jesus faced it. 
The apostles faced it. The early church faced it. All through church history, they faced it. And people are still facing it today. But that persecution is not going to shut us down. It's not going to shut us up. It's not going to slow us down. It just fuels the fire. That if the devil's already trying to stop us, that means we're doing something that's worthwhile enough that he has crawled out of his little hole to try to bring a, a resistance to those of us that are doing the work of God. And it should make you laugh. It should make you happy that you're doing enough that you're worthy of persecution. It should make you, because let me tell you, there's plenty of Christians that aren't doing a thing that aren't being persecuted at all. It's only when you step out by faith. It's only when you begin to pursue God's promises. It's only when you begin to manifest his power that the devil tries to stop you. The devil has limited resources. Remember that the devil has limited resources, which means he can't just go after everybody all the time. Most Christians, they don't have any demonic activity working against them. It's not worth him wasting his resources on somebody that's not even doing anything. He's got limited resources, very limited. And so you ought to get happy. If there's persecution coming against you, you ought to rejoice. You ought to rejoice and get happy that what you're doing for God is enough that it would draw the attack of the devil and then be victorious and walk right through it onto the other side, full of victory because you can't be stopped. You're undefeatable. You're uncursable in Jesus name. That's right, Julie. The devil only attacks those things of value. He doesn't mess with people that aren't doing anything valuable for the kingdom. Comes against those that are doing things of value. That's exactly right. Hallelujah. And so you ought to get excited about that. So that's one thing that Jesus spoke to Brother Allen about is that 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. And when the devil tries to persecute or use people to persecute, you ought to just say, thank God that I've got something going on that's impactful enough that the devil feels threatened, that the devil feels scared about what I'm doing. And he does because he knows you've got all power living on the inside of you and that you've got authority over him and every demon spirit that he could send your way. And with one word of authority out of your mouth, you can command every spirit of uh, whatever, confusion, and it doesn't matter if it's infirmity, whatever, to get out of your face, get out of your life, get out of your house, and let go in Jesus' name. That's the kind of dominion you carry. Amen. And then let me give you another thing that, uh, talking about mirroring Christ's consecration. If we're going to mirror Christ's consecration, it has to be in every area. Every area. So, what else did Jesus... Um, what else did Jesus do that we must emulate? Well, look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is of course the beginning there, the parable of the persistent widow who, who went after that unjust judge and, and continually, continually, continually asked him until he did what she said. Verse one, Luke 18, one, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Amen. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. So that's what the Lord dealt with me about at the beginning was you need to pray more. You're not praying enough. 
to see these things take place. You're not praying enough to release that kind of power. You're not praying enough. There was a a Methodist minister named E.M. Bounds, and he wrote 12 books in his lifetime, I believe. Nine of them were on the subject of prayer. If you've heard this famous quote about prayer, you've probably heard it, um, but it came from E.M. Bounds and his writing on prayer. And you've probably heard it said this way, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. That is a quote that came from E.M. Bounds and his writing on prayer. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. The level to which you'll consecrate yourself to pray is the level to which God can use you to release the anointing. And so if we look at Jesus' life, Jesus was a mighty man of prayer. A mighty man of prayer. Here's a man that would pray all the time. He would go off into the wilderness to pray. There were other times, uh, like in the book of Luke, I believe it's chapter 6, Jesus prayed through the entire night. Prayed from sundown to sunup. I mean, prayed through the whole night. That Jesus was not light on prayer. In fact, think about this. This has always been mind-blowing to me. Of all of the things the disciples saw Jesus do in his ministry, multiply loaves and fish, you know, speak a gold coin into a fish's mouth, you know, all the, raise the dead, all of the things they saw Jesus do in his entire life, in his ministry, they only ever asked him to teach them one thing. You know what that was? Lord, teach us to pray. I always found that to be very interesting that of all the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them, they only asked one thing, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't it interesting they never said, Lord, teach us how to multiply loaves and fish. They could have asked that. Lord, teach us how to find provision in the fish's mouths wherever we go. Lord, teach us how to curse fig trees. I mean, There's so many things Jesus did, they could have asked him to teach. They asked him one thing, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us. That means after looking at his life and his ministry, they must have realized that there was a connection between his prayer life and what God used him to do. They had to have seen it. They had to have seen it. There's something about his prayer life that is connected to what God uses him to do. And so they knew all the other things were wonderful and great, but they said, Lord, you've got to teach us how to pray. Because it's, it's almost as though they were saying, it's, it's obvious that your prayer life is what's releasing your power life. Well, it's not just that they saw that, he told it to them. Look, look with me at the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Very powerful thought here. Mark 9, this is the story of when those parents brought their son to the disciples who had a demon spirit. And they said, would you cast the demon out of our son to the disciples? They couldn't do it. They could not do it. So the parents ended up bringing the boy to Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus actually rebuked them. How interesting. He actually rebuked them for not being able to cast the demon out 
because he had already appointed them. He'd already anointed them. But apparently they weren't doing what they should have been doing to release that anointing. Now, Jesus could not have rebuked them for doing something they were unable to do or that they were uh, they had insufficient power to do. He can't rebuke them for that. So the reason he's rebuking them is because they could have done it if they were doing what they should have been doing. And he tells them that later because he casts the demon out of the boy without a problem, without sweat. And then what, what does he say? Comes back to his disciples and in verse 28, they ask him the question, Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Mark 9, 29. This kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some translations add prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Well, we know Jesus was a man of prayer and fasting. Went out, fasted 40 days. Even when the Pharisees, that's Mark 9, 29. Mark 9, 29. Even when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, how come uh, we and John's disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast? He answered them and said, well, you don't fast when the bridegroom is with you. But he said, I'll be taken away. And when I am taken away from them, they will fast. They will fast. And of course, we know that came to pass. That when Jesus left the earth and, was a, and ascended into heaven, was seated on the throne, according to what we have as the apostles' extra biblical writings, I covered this in our uh, book on uh, Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting, that they fasted, the whole early church fasted two days every single week. They prayed for an hour every single day at a minimum. Acts chapter three, they were going to the temple at what? The hour of prayer, at the hour of prayer. So they prayed for an hour every day and they fasted two days every single week. So they, they saw Jesus' example and they followed after it. Even after he was gone, they were praying and praying and praying and they were fasting. Jesus said, this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Or in this passage, except by prayer. So there is a power in prayer. And the Bible tells us that. Book of James, chapter 5. The prayers of a righteous man. The prayers of a righteous man makes much power available. It's true, Julie, that they were not filled with the Holy Ghost while Jesus was on the earth. However, he had already given them his authority and his power to heal the sick and to cast out devils. He never actually used the excuse, well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and you're not, so there's things I'm going to be able to do that you can't. They had all authority from Christ and all power to drive out sickness and disease and to drive out evil spirits. And that's why he rebuked them. He said, you should have been able to do this, but you've not been praying like you should be praying. 
It's interesting to me, because I used to think that as well, but it's interesting to me that he didn't point to their lack of baptism in the Holy Ghost. He pointed to their lack of prayer, their lack of prayer. And there's people today that are baptized in the Holy Of course, Julie knows this. There's people today that are baptized in the Holy Ghost that aren't casting out demons, that aren't healing the sick. It doesn't mean they don't have the anointing to do it. They have not only the anointing, they also have the instruction from God and the Great Commission. But they've not put themselves in position, just like Brother Allen was not in position, just like I was not in position, to do the works they've been called to do. The point I'm making here is, if we could do the same things Jesus did without his consecration, if we could just go out and we never had to pray, and we never had to fast, and we never had to read the word, and we never had to submit to God, and we never had to, um, you know, re receive persecution, and we could just go out and do the same miracles Jesus did, that would make us greater than Jesus because we don't even have to do the things he had to do and we could have the same results. No, we we're not greater than the master. We're not greater than the teacher. So if we want to see the results, that's what Jesus was teaching brother Allen. If you want to see the results, then you've got to have the same type of consecration. This was driven home in his spirit. You've got to have the same type of consecration. And we see there's places even in the gospels where Jesus rebuked the disciples. This was one of those. If you go one chapter back to uh, Matthew chapter, excuse me, yeah, go to Matthew chapter 8, excuse me. If you go to Matthew chapter 8, he rebukes them again. You remember this story because they're out on the water and a storm comes. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat, but they woke him up in fear saying, save us, that we're going to die. And he jumped up and said, why are you afraid? O oh, you of little faith, get that. Why are you afraid? O oh, you of little faith. And he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm, glory to God. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Glory to God. What sort of man is this? They could see something was different about him. It was his consecration that allowed him to release the anointing that was on his life. That's what he was encouraging them. That's what Brother Allen learned, that we're sent out into the world, of course we are, but we're never gonna be greater than our master. So if we wanna have what he had, <clears throat> we've gotta do what he did. If we wanna have what he had, we've gotta do what he did. Glory to God. I've looked through the, these, the lives of these men, looked at men like uh, Brother Allen we're looking at today, looked at men like Oral Roberts, looked at men like John G. Lake, looked at men like T.L. Osborne, looked at men like Reinhard Bonnke, looked at men like um, Brother Shambach and others, my father. You watch and see, you know, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, you watch and see how God has used men through the ages and he teaches them things. He shows them things, shows them things about how to be mightily used in his presence and his power. And that's what I'm taking this week to show you, because in the same way, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll add this before we uh, go any further. This same consecration level of prayer is the same thing that God showed to Dr. Youngie Cho, uh, because Dr. Paul Youngie Cho, as you know, had the largest church in the entire world. <clears throat> and in his church, they saw unprecedented growth 
unprecedented growth. And when someone asked him, how are you seeing this level of growth? How are you seeing this level of growth in your church? Expecting to receive, you know, church growth principles (laughs) as the answer. The answer came back. We fast, 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 and we pray, pray, pray. That was the answer. We fast, 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 and we pray, pray, pray. I was reading Dr. Cho's book, Prayer That Brings Revival. And he said something so powerful. He said, you know, we prioritize our times of prayer every morning. We prioritize those. We purposely don't stay up late so that we can rise up early to pray. Think about that. He said, we so prioritize prayer that we don't stay up late so that we can rise up early to pray. What a powerful thought. What a powerful thought. He built Prayer Mountain so that people could go and stay in the different grottos there and pray, 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 pray. Prayer releases power. The prayers of a righteous man or woman makes much power available. Glory to God. The prayers of a righteous man or woman makes much power available. Much power available. One of the reasons, one of, one of the ways and reasons that you can release that power from your life is because you're a person of prayer. You're a person of consecration. It's true. People always want some sort of a, a formula to make it work, but it's the same thing that Jesus told his disciples. It's the same thing that the early church understood that there is power in prayer. There's power in prayer and fasting. There's power in consecration. There's power in being bold and saying, Lord, I don't care what comes my way. I am going to do what you called me to do and I'll not shut up and I'll not be shut down. I'll not be silenced. I'm gonna have everything you said is mine. Again, we go back to Hebrews chapter six where the Bible says that by faith and patience, What are we doing? Being imitators of those who by faith and patience obtain the promises of God. There are people that have already done it at a great level. There are people that have already shaken their world, shaken their generation, and God used them. You're no different. God will use you. You're no different. Don't think, well, these are great men of God. What what were they before they were great men and women of God? Regular people that had a hunger for God, and God used them. God used them mightily. Hallelujah. He used them mightily. God's going to use you mightily in Jesus' name. God's going to use you in such a mighty way that you'll impact your whole generation. If, I'm telling you, if you'll be a person who says, Lord, I'm available. Use me. Send me. Send me. That's what Jesus said in John 17. Father, I'm sending them out into the world. I'm sending them out into the world. You're already sent. You just say, God, use me. And then take that time. What, what's your takeaway today? It's time to take the consecration level to another place. It's time to take the consecration level to another place. Ask yourself, where have I been in my times of prayer? Have I been praying? A few things you need to always watch. Have I been praying? You know, I always give people a good marker as an hour because it's what the early church did. It's what, the, it's what Jesus told uh, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you not tarry with me for one hour? I always encourage people, an hour is a good place to start. Many people will sit down and watch an hour-long show on Netflix. 
but have you prayed for an hour? It's a good daily goal. It's a good daily goal. Pray, pray for an hour. Take times throughout your life, at least throughout the month, and fast and pray. Fast and pray. When was the last time you were in the Word? When was the last time you were getting that and making a habit? I'm going to get the Word into my spirit. Get the Word into my spirit. When was the last time we did that? Right? Pushing into the presence of God. I am going to be a person of consecration. I'm going to be a person of consecration. I'm not going to let my, and, and, and let me go back to this before we, before we pray. Remember this. Remember this. The Bible says, we looked at it in Hebrews 6, 12. This is our theme for the whole week. And I'm going to be covering a different, uh, different men of God each, each day and showing you the secrets God showed them. But remember this, so that you may not be sluggish. It's a great, uh, Veronica puts in the comments, this is a great point that um, she said 10% of our day belongs to him. Many people think of tithing finances, but what if you were to give God a tithe of your day? Say, how long would that be? Two hours and 24 minutes. That's an exact tithe of your day. Two hours and 24 minutes. That's an exact tithe. I did a podcast episode years ago called The 224 Principle. And it was talking about giving God 10% of your day in reading the word, prayer, and receiving teaching or preaching from a man of God. We broke it up. Two hours and 24 minutes. However you want to break that up. An hour of prayer. An hour of reading the word. 24 minutes or a half an hour of listening to teaching and preaching. However you do it. But that is a tithe of your day given to God. Watch what that would do in your life so that you may not be sluggish, lazy, and disinterested, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jerry. I'm telling you, this is taking us to another level. It's taking us to another level. And God is going to use us in a mighty way. God's going to use us in a mighty way. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'll tell you, <clears throat> when we end this uh, broadcast today, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start another broadcast at noon, and we're going to pray. And you can join me to pray. We're going to pray for a half an hour. And then you can do the other half an hour on your own throughout the day at whatever time you have. But I'm going to start another broadcast right here at noon in about a half an hour. And we're going to pray together. We're going to use the prayer points. We're going to pray for half an hour. And then you can spend the, the remaining time of your prayer in, in the Holy Ghost, however you want to do it. But we're going to pray. And I pray that God uses you and gives you a hunger for his presence and his power like you've never had. Like you've never had. I want you to hear this with me today. God has already anointed you. God has already appointed you. So you're anointed and appointed. The only thing that remains is saying, God, I answer the call. God, I'm answering the call. I'm answering the call. The old song, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Touch my hands and my feet. Touch my heart and speak through me. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I'll trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes. Lord, yes. That's, what we're, that's consecration. That's our consecration to God. Hallelujah. And so I'm encouraging you today by the power of the Holy Ghost. You are anointed. You are appointed. 
We're going to take this week to look at the mighty men of God that have shaken their generation and take those secrets from the greats and apply them to our own lives. And I'm telling you, watch what God will do in you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.